Well, good morning, everyone. Great to see you. Grab a seat. My name is Gare. Welcome online for those who are joining us. If you're part of our family, vintage family, it's great to, great to be with you. And in our courtyard, if you're outside, uh, it's great to have you out here. I'll be joining you for worship after the sermon outside in the courtyard. But it's great to see you. Why don't we pray as we come to God's Word together? So, Father, we thank you for your Word. And we pray now that you use your Word by your Spirit to encourage us, convict us, propel us, deepen us into Christ and His purposes for us as a church and for each one of us individually. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in a little mini-series on Acts chapter 20 called Don't Waste Your Life. Don't Waste Your Life. Two weeks ago, we looked at how God has given each of us a purpose and how we start to outwork that. Last week, we saw specifically one significant part of your purpose is to disciple others. You grow as you disciple others. I had so many people this week say it was kind of the jolt they needed to reach out and start discipling one another. This week we're looking at what is a specific purpose God has for you. What is the specific calling God has for you? One of the most popular questions I get as a pastor is, yeah, I don't know what God's got for me. Everybody keeps talking about purpose. Everyone talks about calling. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. In this passage, we're going to look at the life of Paul and how God has shaped him in his unique calling and how he therefore shapes us in ours. So if you have your Bible, let's turn to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to begin in verse 17. Verse 17. If you don't have your Bibles, it's on the screen. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, You know how I have lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came to the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you, night and day, with tears. 
Now I commit you to God and to the word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. In this passage, we see time and time again, verse after verse, that Paul had a calling. Paul had a purpose. Paul had been uniquely shaped by God for something specific. And with everything he had, with all of his energy, with all of his time, his talents and his treasure, he poured his life into that specific calling. He said in verse 24, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Paul knew that he had a specific task to do. Throughout his writings, we see that Paul felt called by God to preach the gospel to the non-Jewish community of the known world. He left the Jewish community, went out to the Gentiles across Asia Minor, then Eastern Europe, then to Rome. And his plan was to get to the far reaches of the known world at the time, which was the far west of Spain and Portugal. But he had a single-minded purpose and calling. It motivated him. It got him off the sofa. It got him out of this cozy little bubble that he was in. And he laid it all out, even to the point of tears and sacrifice. He knew what God had called him to do. Do you know what God has called you to do? Something that gets you out of bed in the morning, something that keeps you going, something that causes you to throw all in. You spend your money, your time, your talents. You don't hold back when people say, calm down. You just go for it 100%. Because God has called you. How do we find that thing? How do we find what Paul had? What God calls us all to have? How do we find that thing that we know this is why God made me? We're going to look this morning at the four hallmarks of Paul's calling that can be for us as well. And the first thing is this. You find your purpose by finding your pain. You find your purpose by finding the pain that God has put in your heart for something to change. A passion. A stirring that God has given you that you look at something and go, I've got to do something about that. Other people may just watch that and move on, but there's some deposit of God's heart in me that I pause and I stop and I go, Lord, that's got to change. See, many of us were taught to start looking at what has God called you to do with your gifting. And that's part of it, but I suggest that your gifting comes after finding the direction to which God is pointing you. You see, gifting can let us down. You know, sometimes 
We don't know what our gifts are. Sometimes our gifts change. Sometimes our gifts grow. Sometimes we're not self-aware. And if you start with your gifting, you won't actually activate unless an opportunity opens up for your gifting. Which may come, which may not come. But an opportunity is always there for you to do whatever you can at the point of pain in your heart that this has got to change. This was Paul's story. In Acts chapter 16, while on one of his missionary journeys, he's concentrating his mission in Asia Minor, doesn't even think to go further west across the Aegean Sea. And one day he's just chilling out in Acts chapter 16 on the balcony. He's, he's about to go to bed. And it says in Acts chapter 16 verse 9 that suddenly the Holy Spirit breaks through and gives him a vision. And the vision is of a man from Macedonia, which is in Greece. A Gentile community yet to hear the gospel. And this man in Paul's vision is not politely going, it'd be ever so lovely if you told us about Jesus. No, God gave Paul a vision of a man. He says, standing in Macedonian clothing, standing and begging and pleading for help. Begging and pleading. Begging and pleading things which were shameful to that culture, shameful to the elite aristocracy of the Greek culture that this man was so desperate that he was begging and pleading. And I wonder if Paul just in that moment saw tears flowing down his eyes going, Lord, i got to do something. i got to do something. These people are begging to know about you. And so the immediate next verse is after Paul had seen the vision, he got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. There was the broken pain of God in his heart for these people that he had to go. Changed his plans, assembled a different crew, and went out. Same thing happened again in Acts chapter 17. Paul is wandering around Athens. It says that he was just lingering, waiting for his friends to join him. But the Holy Spirit, it says, opened his eyes. And as he looked across the streets of Athens, as he looked at the people going out their business, it says that he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. Greatly distressed. That his heart was stirred by the prompting of the Holy Spirit to say, this is not enough. This is not how it was meant to be, that these people are lost in the world of false idols. And he was distressed. I wonder again if tears started to roll down his cheeks. And he thought, I've got to do something about this. I'm waiting for my friends, but while I'm waiting, says next verse, so he went into the synagogue to the God-fearing Greeks and reasoned with them about the gospel. And started to share the good news of God's grace with them. God had placed in Paul's heart a piece of God's own heart. Of the pain and distress that God feels every day for the lost, the overlooked, the least, the broken. And it was this pain, this broken heartedness, this I'm wrecked with what I see. That was the soil for Paul's purpose to grow. We see it all through the Bible. 
Moses was having a pretty comfortable life being raised in the palaces of Egypt. And yet he said he looked out and saw his own people in slavery, brokenhearted, even fighting amongst themselves. He tried to break up the fights, devastated at his people under oppressive, such oppression that they were even fighting amongst themselves. You know the story? Moses, in his anger and frustration, went a bit overboard and killed an Egyptian that was trying to kill one of his brothers, and he was banished and went out. But that already had started this, this brokenness, this pain, this sense of injustice, this sense of this can't happen was stirring in Moses' life and his heart all the time in the wilderness until God caught his attention with a burning bush. And he approached and then God said to Moses, I too have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I too have heard their crying because of their slave drivers. So now go, I'm sending you. You see, God links together his heart with our heart and says, when you feel the pain that I feel, when you feel the brokenness that I feel about this situation, that's what I'm stirring in you. And I'm going to pull that into partnership with me and let's together set my people free. Where are you broken? Where do you feel the pain of God at the darkness in the world? Happened again with David. David is having a great time in the, in the fields, shepherding the sheep, and he's bringing his lunch to his brothers who are down in the battle with the Philistines. And as he approaches, he sees the Israel army cowering in fear and in retreat and sees this big dude called Goliath teasing trash-talking, mocking their God, the true God. And everyone's cowering, and David's going, who is this guy? And a holy anger burns within him, a dissatisfaction. This can't happen. So he goes off to Saul and goes, what's going on? And Paul says, well, you know, and, and David just goes, you know what? Let me at him. This can't go on any further. Time and time again, your purpose, your calling begins with that dissatisfaction, with that discontent, with that holy anger, where you go, God, this can't happen any longer. I've got to do something about it. Throughout history, this has been the driving motivation, not their spiritual gift inventory that they came out and go, ooh, I'm a hospitality pastor, that's who I am. No. It becomes with God depositing the deep brokenness of a people, a place, a problem in your heart that you can't shake. One of our heroes, William Wilberforce, who led the charge successfully in Great Britain for the abolition of slavery. He didn't wake up going, I'm a politician who fights injustice. He grew up going, I'm a trust fund kid who's actually into gambling and rock and roll, if they had rock and roll in those days. He became a Christian and was wondering what to do with his life. And so happened that his mentor, his spiritual guide, was a man called John Newton. John Newton had been a, a captain of a slave ship, transporting in chains and brutality. 
Africans across to Great Britain and then across to America. God had broken into John Newton's life and he'd repented and given up his captaincy of this slave industry. Had been so wrecked by God's grace, he wrote a hymn called Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, that saved a wretch like me. And here he was then with his young William Wilberforce, sharing his testimony, sharing the, the evil of the slave trade with his young convert called William Wilberforce. And then suddenly Wilberforce in his journals writes the following. He says, so enormous, so dreadful did this wickedness of racism and slave trade appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they will. From this time I determined I would never rest until I effected its abolition. It began with a cry, with the pain of the brokenness in this world. God wants you to feel His pain. He wants you to deposit a tiny slither of the pain of His heart for some area in this world. That forces you to say, i got to do something. I've got to do something. It could be racial injustice. It could be discrimination of some sort. It could be the abuse of children, sex trafficking. It could be so many children need fostering and adopting. It could be that corporate culture is so crooked and greedy. It could be we need to lift people out of poverty, not just band-aid the problem. We need to get down the divorce rate and build marriages. We need to reform the education system that kids of all ages can have an education. We need to come alongside people with mental health issues and lift them up and not lock them away. We need to use the arts for God's glory. We need to do whatever it is that you go, I can't just watch this darkness anymore. i got to do something. Where is God breaking your heart? This isn't by chance. There's a reason you grew up where you did. There's a reason you grew up with the pain and the experiences you did. There's a reason that you've traveled where you've traveled. There's a reason you know the people you know. There's the reasons you've had doors closed and open doors. God is not behind evil, but he will use all of that to deposit in your heart something. He goes, will you join me in bringing the light into the darkness? Will you join me in bringing Christ's healing power into the sicknesses of this world. God wants to share His heart with you. You will see something. You will read something. You will go through something. And other people will just move on and change channel. But inside or outside, tears will be rolling down your cheeks. Purpose begins with that holy passion, that holy pain for the brokenness in this world. We see this in Paul. We see this in Moses. We see this in David. And just, I think of my life. I'm up here being a pastor, building the church, which is, which is the last thing I ever wanted to do. It's the last thing I ever wanted to do. My father was a pastor, and like many preachers' kids, you go, that's the last thing I ever want to do. My dad said, don't be a pastor. He said, be on fire for Jesus, but go out and be a minister in the workplace. He was so fed up with all the passionate people being huddled in churches. He said, go out and be a Christian leader in the marketplace. I thought, right, I'm going to be a Christian lawyer and business guy. Went off to law school. 
And in fact, the church was pretty underwhelming as well. I thought pastors were underwhelming on the whole. I just thought they failed the rest of life, so they became a pastor. (laughs) And I thought churches were pretty broken places. In fact, I was really dissatisfied with church. All my friends growing up were non-Christians, and yet I couldn't bring any of them to church. It was such a huddle, such a charismatic freak show at times. I love the charismatic, but I remember the day I brought my friend, Rob, bless his heart. I'd been working on him so much just to say that Jesus isn't weird. You know, I'm not weird, hopefully, and do you want to come to church? Eventually he came. I remember we met in this movie theater, and he thought, this is a bit weird. What happened to the church building? He said, oh, no, but we're on fire for Jesus. And he said, what does on fire for Jesus mean? And I remember we sat down in the worship. The service started. And we started to sing a song. I thought, okay. And do you know when you bring a friend to church, you're just praying, please let nothing weird happen. (laughs) That's all you're praying. Please let this be a normal service. (laughs) As I was praying that, the pastor stood up and interrupted the worship team. And he said, you know what? I just think there's something stopping us in the heavenlies, pressing through in praise. I thought, Oh, no. He said, what I think we should do, we should break through. We should break through. Everybody lift your hands. Everybody look up to heaven. On the shout of three, we're going to shout a voice in, in, in tongues of victory. And we're not going to stop until we reach that breakthrough. And I just started to weep. <laughs> and I remember, I'm like this. And Rob passionate atheist, but polite because he's British. It's like, and then he just quietly mouthed to me, what the beep is this? Does he's ever been back to church? But that, that made me angry. We live in a country with 0.1% are active followers of Jesus. And we can't bring anyone to hear the good news because we make them feel weird. And we exclude them. It made me angry that churches are so much about legalism than grace. It made me angry that if you had a genuine question about science or doubt, it would be shamed as if you didn't have faith. It made me angry that my friends would go to college and abandon their faith because they were so jumping up and down with emotional experiences they'd never been deepened in the rootedness of salvation in Jesus Christ. If your feelings go or not, Jesus still died for you. It made me angry as I went to college and started to lose love of the church. It just made me angry. I met pastors who were overbearing. It made me angry. I thought, I'm going to be Jesus without the church. Have you ever been there? I went to London. I thought, I'm out of the church. Forget it. I love Jesus, but I thought, I'm going to go to churches that will, won't disappoint me because I've got no expectations. So I sat at the back and, of a church where they had no attendance and just thought, you know what, at least there's no expectations here. I remember being so angry at church. I was sharing my faith in a nightclub once. It was about three in the morning. And this girl was sobbing at the bar. 
And so I spoke to her, and I said, are you okay? And it turned into a beautiful conversation about Jesus. About two hours worth. So it got to like 5.36. And then she said, well, what do I do? I said, well, you should go to a church, probably. I said, well, which one? I said, well, I've heard of one. I said, I'll take, she said, can you take me? I go, oh, first service is in a couple of hours. So I did. Waited around, got my little car, drove to church, pulled up outside the church, and I went, here it is. And she said, aren't you coming in? I go, no, I don't like the church. <laughs> she started to be very strangely and went off to church. Who knows what happened next? But I didn't like it. It angered me. It angered me that friends of mine who were charismatic and believed in the ministry of the Spirit would then just become crazy and not disciple people. Then I'd meet friends who were richly discipled, but they were so dead in their faith. It was like the frozen chosen. And I thought, this isn't right. Jesus was alive in the Spirit and rich in character and integrity. I looked at people on TV and I thought, how could you claim to do the things of Jesus but be nothing like him? It made me angry. And then I woke up one day in my little flat in Kennington, South London. I don't, it's what, I, probably twice this has happened to me. I knew God was in the room. I rolled onto my knees out of bed. And I knew it was a holy moment. And all I could sense was Jesus saying to me, Gare, you can't love me and not my church. I thought, Jesus, your church stinks. He goes, I know. <laughs> but so do you. <laughs> but Lord, this, it's so broken. Yeah, I know. And I died for her. And I haven't given up on her. But Lord, what are you going to do? Who's going to go and fix that mess? Hmm, I wonder. A couple of weeks later, I was invited to a church. A church I'd heard of, but I hated church. I went with no expectations, but I walked through the door, and I breathed in something that actually was of Christ. I thought, oh, now this is, this is getting there. I found a people who were humble, not, not about themselves. There was no $1,000 sneakers on stage anywhere. I found a people who were authentically discipled in Christ and yet open humbly to the ministry of the Spirit without show or frenzy. I found they were rich about discipleship, but you could bring a friend to church and they'd be loved for where they were. And it would be explained to them that they felt they could connect with what was going on, even though they knew they weren't there. And then I found this really hot woman called Lizzie, and I thought, ah, oh, <laughs> there is hope. <laughs> we went off to Switzerland. My job changed to Switzerland. We found a little church in, in actually just next to Geneva, across the border in France. Lots of expats there. It's a nice church, but... It was dysfunctional in some ways. And by then I knew, okay, I can't just criticize. I got to roll up my sleeves and get involved. And actually I found myself obsessed to see the church be all that she can be. 
Lizzie and I, we led the hospitality greeting team. We became deacons for evangelism. We started Alpha. We started prayer ministry training. We started a community group for young 20s that grew and grew and grew, that we were doing our own mission trips. We were doing our own um, collecting blankets for the poor in Geneva and Switzerland. We went on our own retreats. I was creating Bible. I was out trying to do work at the same time. I remember one infamous day. I'm writing Bible study for Bible study at work for the evening. And then I was using the photocopier at work thinking, oh no, I'm, I'm, I'm not allowed to do this. And I'm thinking, Lord, what am I doing? I'm not a pastor and I hate the church. But I had a pain for the brokenness of Christ church. And then all of a sudden people start to say, yeah, have you ever thought about being a pastor? No! Have you, why? Have you ever thought? I then offered a job as a pastor. Not even trained. Then eventually God broke in. But he broke in through my, the pain in my heart to see the church of Jesus Christ not be all that she can be in Jesus Christ. It's why today we've had a tough year in the church in America. And some people are giving up on the church. And it's like, I get it. But my heart weeps to see the church be all that she can be. Despite the pain, despite the challenges. But that's my pain. What's yours? What's yours? Where does God break your heart? Where does God do something and let you see something that you go, enough is enough? See, if you start with gifting, you'll find, where can I use my gifts? When you get off the sofa and say, enough's enough, you will clean the toilets. It doesn't matter. You just want to start changing it. Where is God breaking you? Many are on that journey. You know what it is, and today's maybe a day to revive that. Or you know what? I'm going to go... I haven't said yes to that. I know it's there. Many of you don't know. You've actually anesthetized. You've numbed. You've medicated all pain in your life that God hasn't got an opportunity to go, it's here. We're so caught up in leisure, pleasure, and treasure. We push pain aside. We put on the noise-canceling headphones so we don't hear the cries of society. It's time to take them off and say, Holy Spirit, Give me fresh eyes that I too may be greatly distressed as Paul was greatly distressed. If you have found it, here's some things I'd encourage you to do. Number two is this. Value it. Value it. Don't devalue it compared to what other people's pain is. I see so many people not responding to the pain that God has given them, the broken heart that's given them, because they look at it and go, but this is insignificant. This isn't Paul preaching to the Gentiles. It's not William Wilberforce, the abolition of slavery. But God in his sovereignty has decided you are the right person at the right time, with the right gifts, in the right area, in the right moment in history, to put that in your heart and say, this is for you. 
could be the alleviation of poverty, or it could be caring for our creation, which God has told us, be stewards of my creation. It could be ending racial discrimination, or it could be using your business to use its profits for the social transformation of the community in which you are. It could be being a Christian lawyer and deciding, you know what, I'm going to be a lawyer that brings Christ into the values of this company. Or it could be a pastor. I can't see the church be all that she is when she could be all that God has called her to be. Don't compare and devalue the passion and the calling and the brokenness that God has placed in your heart. Thirdly, feed it. Feed it. You've got it and you go, great, what do I do with it? Well, go deeper into it. It's painful, isn't it? But go deeper into it. Learn more about it. Watch documentaries on it. Go speak to experts about it. Go to conferences on it. But live and breathe this thing. Get close to it. Proximity is what Jesus modeled. That when you rub shoulders and when you get deeply into the pain, when you go further into the darkness, that's where the light can work its brightest. So often that pain again, we go, you know what? It's too hard. I don't want to touch it. I don't want to go there. It causes me too much pain because we've been told in our society pain is bad. But pain is God's alarm clock. And pain breaks our heart for the things that breaks His. Fourthly and finally, commit to it. Commit to it. Go all in. Do you see Paul? I mean, he was all in. He said, look, I'm going to raise my own salary. I'm not even going to wait for a salary. Night and day, I'm going to warn you with tears. I'm imprisoned, I'm shipwrecked, I'm tortured. But you know what? I'm going to go all in for Christ has called me. And I don't want to waste my life looking for the next streaming great show. But God has called me higher. He's called me deeper. And He's shown me His broken heart. He's given me his broken heart. And I'm a hostage to that brokenness. And as we come to worship, of course, this is exactly what God has done for you and for me. This is the gospel. That the father looked at the son and said, we can't leave them estranged. We can't leave them lost. We can't leave them eternity without us. And so Jesus says, as the Father has sent me, He sent me. He sent me with a mission to come and rescue His beloved children. When you ask me, why have I come in Luke's gospel, He says, I've come to seek and save the lost. I couldn't stand it anymore. I had to come. My Father even named me the unique name that represents my calling, which is Jesus, which means rescue And because of the pain of the brokenness that he had for each and every one of us, he gave it all. He entered into the darkness. He poured out his life. 
surrendered everything, even to death, for you and me. It began with a heart of brokenness and pain and weeping. What about you? Let's stand together. I'd love you to close your eyes as we come and worship. This is a time to, for all different perspectives and places to go, Jesus, I know what it is, and refresh me. Give me fresh passion. Could be forgive me because I've tried to numb that pain. Or it could be, Lord, I don't know what it is. I see lots of brokenness, but I don't have that sense of your Holy Spirit saying this is it. And so, Holy Spirit, these next days and weeks and months, open my eyes, open my ears, that I may have your heart and your calling. And for all of us, we pray as we come to worship you now. Use us, Jesus. Use us. Let's worship together.